0: You're now listening to The Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Tricia Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into people's journeys and asking them questions about like, why they did those things, how it felt, what were the struggles, et cetera. I think it's great to see beyond what we see as people's like biggest accomplishments So hopefully that'll motivate you to get out of your own way, to try things, to change things up, to realize you're not stuck where you are, whatever it may be. On today's episode, I have Brendan Brazier. He is an author. Uh, He is the co-founder of Vega, the co-founder of Pulp Culture. He's a best-selling author of the Thrive Book series He's done a lot of things and um, I find him super interesting. And I feel like we barely even touched on all the things that he's done. Um, but yeah, I really hope that you love this episode. Here we go. Oh, last, last note if you haven't yet, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. And if you leave the review, you can screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at com, and I'll send you a little gift from my product line because. Reviews really help a podcast out. Okay, here we go. All right. I like starting with like about teenage years because I feel like that's a time in life where we can start to feel like this pressure of like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Or you have a big dream or you have maybe parents or people like pressuring you. What were you like in your teenage years? And Did you have like ideas of what you wanted to do or anybody telling you what you should be doing?
1: I I had pretty definite ideas. I, you know, I very early on, I I realized I like being outside. I like being in the forest. I liked running. Um, And it just sort of naturally um, went that way. And yeah, I, you know, like most kids, of course, you know, parents, mothers usually especially are wanting you to um you know take school very seriously and uh you know do well in school and then you get into a better college and then you know the the very conventional route which i just never thought that way and and my my mom did i think it was hard for her at times because i just wasn't into school and i you know the way i did high school looking back now was actually really the way i would even do it now (laughs) like i don't even know i'd change anything but i just um I did the least amount of work I needed to to sort of just stay under the radar. Because if you don't work at all, then you get teachers, parents bugging you. If you work too much, then it's just a waste of time in my view. It's just like, you know, energy out, where where does the return come from? And I knew school wasn't my path. But you just got to find that sweet spot where you just do enough to get by. <laughs> it's my, my like low achiever school advice to people.
0: I, I think I had a similar... Out like it wasn't like that. But I naturally I realized like I was good at retaining information or like testing. So it'd be like I wouldn't study and I really wouldn't care about things, but be like, okay, and history text And, you know, next thing, like, let me just cram these things. And so I do know I was blessed that because my sister was like it was hard for her. Like she did try hard and would like to get good grades and wasn't as easy for her. But yeah, like I didn't care about school at all. I was just like, let me get through this and like get good enough grades to not be hassled.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, at one point looking back, I thought, you know, I should have just even dropped out and gone on with my life. But I'm glad I didn't because the school, like to me, I look back in high school and I'm 46 now. So, you know, this is a while ago. I graduated in 93. So, <laughs> you know, this is, a, this is a while back. But, you know, it was a really great experience. You know, high school was it was it was fun to me. I look back with good memories because I was never stressed or pressured or felt like I had to fit in to do anything. I just sort of did my own thing. And, um, and now I have this great memory of, of high school that a lot of people don't. Um, but yeah, I, I could get by like with C's and stuff with doing pretty much zero work. If I wanted to do well, I would have had to really work because it didn't come easy to me for sure. Like if I was really trying to get A's, I would have I would have had to really work.
0: And so what did your like mom, was she like angling for you to do something? And like, did you end up, yeah. Did you end up applying or going to any colleges or were you just like, I know that school isn't for me and that I love nature.
1: (laughs) Yes, that. (laughs) Um, No, she, um, yeah, she wanted me to, to get better marks and my friends and, you know, their, their moms were friends with her and, you know, they, they did well in school. They did really well and it came more easily to them and, um, but uh, not to go down this tangent too much, but then when, when high school was over and they were met with a challenge later in life, whether it was academic or, or otherwise, they, you know, they crumbled pretty easily because it had come so easy to them. School was easy for them and they never had a challenge with me, basically everything I start, I'm bad at. <laughs> so Everything I, you
0: start, you're bad at.
1: Yeah, and then I, I figure out how to do it and I learn, but I, I expect I'm going to be bad at it when I start and going in with that expectation is a, it's a whole different thing. Like if you think you're good at stuff because you did well in school and you think you can do, like, go and start a business or do whatever you want um, because you did well in school and then you meet resistance and it's hard, some people don't have that resolved because they don't, they don't know how, how do you act when things aren't going your way. They only know how to respond when when they're good at stuff. And it's sort of a false sense of reality, like it, not reality, <laughs> um, when you go to school and you're good at it, and then you get into the real world and you realize that you're not good at everything. Some things are hard. Uh, what do you do? Do you give up? Um, do you try hard? Like It's just kind of then a character measure, I guess, that a lot of people don't realize until you get out of high school. Whereas you know, I learned that early because I was just naturally bad at things. So had to work really hard. So knew and expected to work hard at whatever I did outside of school.
0: I think like, yeah, your way of thinking is so smart, really, because it's like, of course, (laughs) of course, that when you first start something like, why wouldn't we assume we're going to be bad? But so often people like if they don't, you know, have this mark or they don't feel the way they want and don't get the approval they want right away or something, then it's like they failed, they're not good enough and are hard on themselves, beat themselves up or like quit. But like really like, yeah, that's like you're just starting. You're just learning.
1: <laughs> yeah. And to me, it was actually really exciting when I first started doing new things, like some public speaking and things I'd never and some writing, you know, things I'd never done before. Of course, I was really bad at the at first, but the learning leaps and the, the progress you make is so dramatic in such a short amount of time, which I really appreciate because when you're bad at something, you have nowhere to go but up, right? So you can you can get better at things really quickly and it can be quite you know quite rewarding. Whereas like in sport, I got to the point where the amount of training I would have to do to see a tiny, tiny increment of improvement was just ridiculous. Like it was, you know, months and months and months of dedicated training to make a tiny improvement. And you know that's fine for a while, but then you want to actually improve quickly at something. So what do you do? You start something you're bad at, and then of course you improve quickly and it's it's just kind of mentally rewarding, I think um to to see that improvement and and it can be encouraging. and also too, I think doing something you're bad at on a regular basis is actually really good for your brain, especially as you get older too, because you know as adults we're we're pretty proficient at our days, like we can go into our day. We're on autopilot for most of it because we've done it so many times and we're good at what we do every day. So that's good for productivity's sake, but it's not good for your brain. Your brain is not learning new things. It's not making new pathways and rewiring itself physically, which is what happens when you learn something new and are bad at it. Like you start playing tennis or you start playing guitar, or you learn a new language, you know, these things that are foreign to your brain if you've never done them. And like I say, you're bad at them but they're really good for your brain. So I think, and some people, their ego can't take that. Yeah. (laughs) So that's going to be bad for them down the road. But if your ego can take being really bad at stuff, but doing it anyway, um, I think your brain's going to be better off for it.
0: Your brain, but then also like you're giving yourself like the ability to have like self-compassion. And like growth in a different way. And I think that when you're able to then have compassion for yourself, compassion for others. So even just the fact of like, oh my gosh, this is hard. Like, I don't remember what it's like to do something hard or to not be good at something again. Like, then it allows you to like support yourself, hopefully, and not beat yourself up and quit. <laughs> but like, yeah, like just see that for other people. I don't know. Okay. So anyway, so what did you do? Then high school ends.
1: So yeah, I, my, you know, my mom wanted me to, to go to college and. And I did for a bit. I went, um, and again, I found if I wanted a a place to live, you know, and not have to go and get a job and pay rent and live somewhere, I kind of needed to keep her happy to some degree. You know, this is, I guess when I was 18, when I first graduated. And so I, yeah, I went, um, I went to college a little bit. I moved over. So I, I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and then moved over to Vancouver Island, uh, my i guess it was my early 20s to victoria and went to um and i moved there f- for training for you know really drier winters in vancouver and and just um good good training environment what kind of training? so for triathlon so
0: i'm pretending nobody knows who you are <laughs> cuz they might
1: yeah, not <laughs> yeah no probably most people won't but yeah so swimming biking running so i moved in uh to this house with a few roommates and two of us trained full time. And uh, there are another two who went to, to university. And in the beginning, I actually did take some university courses, well, college. So I, I took forensic anthropology for one year. And the idea was that I would transfer to the u- university and take archaeology. I just thought that was, if I had to take if some you like sort of outdoors? school... Yeah, exactly. Like I figure, you know, you're roaming around just looking for things. I don't know. I don't know what archaeologists do, but I I knew it was outside or in a museum. I like museums, like natural history. And so I I could do that. So that, okay, well, this will keep my mom happy. It's kind of interesting to me. And so I was taking forensic anthropology and then I actually had an opportunity because I was training all the rest of the time. So I was basically taking one course and then the rest of the time I was just swimming, biking, running. So an opportunity came up for me to go to Hawaii and do a race. This was 98, I think. And um, it would mean I would miss a bunch of courses, a bunch of my, my classes the, um, in forensic anthropology, but seemed like such a great opportunity. Um, so I went and did the race, missed a bunch of classes, failed forensic anthropology, but then became a triathlete.
0: Oh, so that, was that basically what made your choice of somewhat being like, all right, I'm just focusing on being a triathlete. I'm giving up the college courses.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Cause it, my, my heart wasn't there and I still found it fascinating. Like I, even after I failed the course, I still read the course material just cause I thought it was really interesting. And I'm just, I'm a very curious person just by nature, but I don't find that I need to formally learn anything. I just sort of learn things when I want. Like if I don't know about something now obviously it's so easy we can just google anything of course but back then you know in the well i guess yeah 98 you know you could kind of like i, I think my first email i think i got my first email like a Hotmail account. Up. <laughs> yeah 98 i think i got a hotmail account so it was right around there where information was getting a lot easier to get and and i love that um uh, like you say i'm very curious and i just wonder about a lot of things so then i can go read about them and look them up and Um, and not take any sort of formal course, which never really um, just kind of worked with how, how my brain works, I guess.
0: And so what made you start getting into triathlons and that in the first place?
1: It was, you know, so in high school, really just enjoying being outdoors. I grew up in North Vancouver, which is a very wooded area, lots of trails, hills, mountains. It's beautiful. Such, you know, like one of the best places you could grow up anywhere. So I was just outside a lot in these trails and exploring and you know not not that social like I I wasn't um, and I wasn't into school sports like the basketball team was they were like the cool people and you know and I got along well with everyone like I wasn't like I don't think at least seen as like some totally weird loner even though I guess I kind of was but I I got along well with everyone and you know we just like the 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 athletic cool kids but also like kind of the you Know the kids who smoked a lot and were, you know, just in, into that sort of thing, which is different. But yeah, I, you know, I had friends in both groups and um, I just sort of did my own thing, which was, yeah, spending a lot of time in the forest and, and running, which I really enjoyed. I was playing hockey, but I didn't start until way later. I started, I think, when I was maybe 14. I only played for two years, 14, 15. I had another friend who was in the same situation. We started way late and, um, so our skating was really bad, so we just played kind of like in a rec league, and I, I really enjoyed it. Though it was it was fun. So I and because I was so far behind everyone else, because they were good skaters, and I thought, okay, well maybe if I'm fitter and stronger, maybe I'll make me better. So I started running in the mornings before school, and realized I just really liked running, and that became my main focus. And then I only played two years of hockey and just started running, and and that was um, that was my thing and. And then soon after that, discovered I like cycling and then swimming. And so that just sort of naturally fit into doing triathlon.
0: And so when, yeah, like when you said you had the opportunity to do the race in Hawaii, what does that mean? Like if you are someone that yeah, is competing in triathlons or then you like become a professional triathlete, are, are you getting paid? Is it just you get an invite or just like you pay money to go do this thing that's very hard <laughs> yeah
1: yeah no you that's that's pretty much it so some back then i think i had a few sponsors very very few um and that race actually so 98 yeah i heard there was prize so this was a duathlon so just running and cycling and i've always been better at running and cycling swimming's always been my my weaker point and so i looked at the prize money i looked at the you know the cost of a ticket to hawaii and I'm like, you know, I could maybe break even.
0: <laughs> and with the prize money, how, like, is it just like first? Who, like, how, how many people get money?
1: It depends on the race. I think this was maybe top five. Sometimes okay. it's top 10, sometimes could it's top three. more
0: chances of something.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I went and, you know, I'd pay my own way, of course. Um, but they had a program where you could stay with the host family for free. You know, these families would, would host you and, have to pay for that. So that was great. But I think when it was all said and done, I broke and even or, or made like $18 or something Does like that. Does that mean
0: that you did get some prize money? Or... Uh,
1: yeah, I did get some prize money. I forget.
0: So you knew yet you were, you had enough speed or whatever it is to possibly make it in the top 10 or five or whatever it was.
1: Right. So I was trying to teach like, yeah. And then it's good too for your resume because if other
0: in the resume to get sponsors and stuff?
1: Yeah, exactly. Got resume it. to get sponsors, <laughs> resume to get invites to other races. Okay. So then I, you know, I, I did this a few times and was breaking even. So I was thinking, okay, so I'm now likely to get sponsors and I'm likely to get invited to races you know, for free. Um, so that's kind of, that was the, the risk I took. Um, and, and it worked, you know, I never, I never got to the the level I I wanted to, or even felt I should have, I felt some of my training was, you know, they were, that was my best performance in, in training sometimes. Cause I, I think some ways I was pretty smart about it, but other ways I, I don't think I was like, I was pretty, I got into this thing where more is better. And in the beginning it really was, you know, the more volume you can do, the better you get. Um, so it was all about more, but then you get to the point where you can't really do more. You're spending the full day training. Like how do you improve? And, one of my friends and, and roommates at the time in the late 90s, was he was really smart about it. He had a much better, sort of more business-like approach where it was, um, you know, like, let's just, let's not lose sight of why we're doing this. It's to get the finish line as soon as we can in a race. Whereas my goal became how much training can I pack into the day, <laughs> right? Which, it, you know, that can work for a while, but then you got to get smarter about it. And I don't know that I ever really did. Um, and he did. And he, he ended up having a very and he was more talented than me, too. But he had a really successful career, went to four Olympics, won a couple medals. Um, we're still good friends. And um, but it was just interesting too to see how he trained. Like I say, much more of a business businesslike um, approach as opposed to just like just like this sort of brute force <laughs> type mentality of just trying to pack as much in as you can.
0: But did you enjoy the training or like? Every minute of the day is it just like I'm doing this, you know, to improve my. I loved it. That
1: was that was actually almost a problem because it was so rewarding just in itself that I almost didn't even care about being good. I just wanted, like, if I I I didn't I never loved racing. I've always loved training. So if I could be paid just to train and not even race, I would have done that. Like I didn't even care. Whereas other people, they truly love racing. They love that head-to-head competition and the, like, the sport of triathlon. Wars. I never loved the sport.
0: Like, the competition factor. That's what I was gonna about to ask. Like, how did it feel then, like, to be doing all that work and then to not, you know, like, finish whatever. I get whatever place or to that. Like, how did you deal with that each time you did a race?
1: It was, you know, like I say, I, I never felt as though my true fitness was reflected in races and part of that is um tapering which is you know when you when you're getting closer to a race you like you do less and you do less um and that that's really hard to fine-tune to and everyone's different and I don't think I ever figure that out perfectly for me um but yeah like I say some people love like the sport of it and I never loved the sport of racing I love like just going out and running in the forest and, you know, like by myself. And, you know, even now, like thinking about, you know, like running a marathon, I'll just go and run one. I like to just go and run by myself wherever I want. And now it's so easy with watches, GPS, it just tells you exactly. So you can anyone go and run a marathon anytime, anywhere. And I love that. Whereas, you know, before like this huge crowd of people, you're standing there, you're at the start line for You know, half an hour with all these people around. And it's like, it's just, that's not what I love.
0: So, how did you decide to stop transitioning out of it? And did you have any struggles with, like, what does this mean if I'm like quitting or giving up? Or am I just ready for something new? And sometimes those thoughts don't come from you, but from other people. Like, you might be happy with the choice you're making, but did other people be like, no, you're just going to give up? Like, what? Like, or like that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting. So I did it full time for seven years, and I was able to get by, not working a regular job, just doing triathlon. Um, you know, lived very lean and and you know kept things very simple. But then, you know, what, what happened was I, um, it was it was funny. I, I was feeling kind of burnt out. I was, um, I was getting tired. I, I wasn't sleeping that well, even though I was tired. I didn't, you know, I didn't feel I had a ton of energy. And then I actually watched, or I listened to, um, there's this guy on the radio, this is still in Vancouver, this would have been 2003, and um, he was talking about this new company had started, and he started importing maca um, into Canada from Peru, which was the first person to ever do that in Canada. And he was talking about maca, this root vegetable, and how it could lower cortisol levels, which would mean you could sleep more deeply, you would feel rested, you wouldn't crave caffeine and sugar. And he described a lot of my symptoms, basically. So I thought this is really interesting, this maca stuff. So I went and um, I bought some. I put it in the blender drink I'd been making for myself for years. That was this kind of mixture of protein, essential fats, fiber, greens, enzymes, all these plants I was blending together to help speed my recovery. And um, this maca stuff seemed to really work. It, It wasn't instant. It took maybe four to six weeks, but I found I slept better. Therefore, I was better rested. I had more energy. I wasn't craving sugar. I wasn't craving caffeine. Um, I got leaner.
0: Did you know, like, when you heard that interview, like, that it might take some time for your body to adjust to something? To... Yeah. Yeah,
1: Is that, that was I think, explained. Yeah, would
0: be like, I don't feel this. Like, you know, it's not worth it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, he explained all that in, okay. in this interview. And he was talking about how it's, you know, it treats the cause of the problem, not the symptom. Like, it's not uh, going to... St- Treat like caffeine treats the symptom of fatigue. It doesn't treat the cause. It. The so cause it takes is quite often you're not sleeping in the, the REM state or the, the the delta phase, which is the really even deeper than than REM, the restorative sleep where your body regenerates and renews. A lot of people don't get into that because cortisol is too high from stress. You know whether it's work related, family, whether it's physical like overtraining, which was mine at the time. Didn't know it, but turns out I was overtraining. But this maca really helped reduce cortisol, therefore I slept more deeply, my body regenerated, renewed more quickly, I felt better, I had more energy because I had treated the cause of fatigue and I was waking up fresh and rested and didn't need stimulation through caffeine and sugar. So that all made perfect sense, like I really got that. So I actually reached out to the guy, turned out he lived very close to where, where I lived and we met up, invited me over. Um, he was just selling it out of his garage, you know, it was just this, this tiny company where he was, Um, well, he was he was selling it into the stores out of his garage, so he's packing it up, he and his wife, she was helping him, and they just would import it from Peru, and then it was bottled, and then they, yeah, they sent it to, to sort of local health food stores. Got it. So, yeah, and that's why he was doing, which I found out later, is was actually kind of funny, that... Been on the radio. He's doing it was actually an ad. It wasn't just like you know what we would call a podcast today, which is yeah,
0: you know, like sort of like a long form ad. So yeah, it exactly. Like half an he hour. Was like,
1: <laughs> but but everything he said was totally legit. Like he was he you know he had found this this really valuable plant for North Americans because of the stress level. And like I say, I bought it and it worked. Like it really did help. And so I was impressed. And and like I say, I reached out to him. We met up. And um, hit it off right away. I think the first day we hung out, we spent six hours together and just talked about everything. And, um, and then, you know, we, we decided to, to work together and we would put the maca that he was importing in this blender drink that I'd been making for myself. And we called that Vega. And it, it came out a year later and health food stores in Canada and then uh, came to the US the next year. And, you know, that's 17 years ago now, but uh, yeah, the company ended up growing, uh, we sold it in 2015, uh, you know, after 11 years. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, uh, that's how it started. And it was, um, it, was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a long road for a while. I was, you know, he was running the company, he was CEO. So he was in the office day to day and I was out on the road talking about um, the benefits.
0: But so when you first heard that ad or thing on radio, where were you like, how long is that what sort of led you to giving up once you guys decided to create your own company?
1: Well, so, so the, 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 plan was originally is that, yeah, we would do this thing, this Vega thing. I would tour for two weeks a month at the end of my season or two weeks a year at the end of the season. So I would, um, like in the fall, basically go around to health food stores in Canada, give these talks, uh, I wrote a book called tell Thrive. tell
0: about the product.
1: Exactly. And so I'd written a book to just really about eating plant-based and just sort of my, my way of doing things. It was working really well because I was improving quite quickly, so people were asking. So I basically took all these frequently asked questions and put them in book form. It was a very short book. It was 80 pages. Because and-
0: you originally, is that right, you went vegan not like for the point of how can this improve like my speed
1: it yeah so the main thing was recovery so recovery like if you can recover more quickly you can do more training and less time and you improve faster so it was really focused on performance and that's what this blender drink i was making was supposed to do and then when i found out about maca it really helped like hormonally so that was an element that i never even considered i didn't know about so how hormones can, can be adversely affected through exercise um, or, or any type of stress. And exercise is psychologically quite stress-relieving, but physiologically it is stress-producing because you break down muscle tissue, your body has to rebuild and, and overcompensate. And that's why training works because, you know, right after training, you're weaker than you were before. You've broken down muscle, but your body, it just, that's, that's how it works. It will overcompensate and you'll become stronger. So. It was a big discovery for me and and it worked. you know it worked really well. so then doing this, the idea, like I say, would be for me to tour around and give talks about um, just just what we're talking about now, plant based nutrition um, and that would hopefully you know encourage people to try Vega, which i've you know I felt good about because it really did work. you know, it took a while, and at the beginning it was seventy five dollars for fifteen servings. Like, which is extremely and expensive, obviously.
0: Seventeen years ago, you said too. Right. Which like, right, right now that would still be something that I'd be like, oh, I don't know, is it worth it? Right. And
1: seventeen years ago, so and everything else was whey and some soy, that were you know an eighth of the price.
0: Yeah, protein powders used to be. Yeah, I didn't use any for so long because everything just didn't sound
1: right. And there was no, um, there was no understanding of hemp protein, pea protein, rice protein. It was all soy or whey. So that was a big part of my talks and, and explanation in the book is why you may want to consider multi-source plant-based proteins as opposed to one. And protein was only one of the elements in this. So Vega at the time we called it complete whole food health optimizer. It's a bit of a mouthful. Now it's called Vega One, <laughs> but it was um it it wasn't just protein, of course. It was it was an all around solution to to feeling good, uh, was the idea. And so, if people came to my talk and they actually spent the time to listen for an hour, you know, it's a big time commitment, but then they bought it and they tried it, um, they, they felt good. You know, it didn't taste good, but it, it worked. And it was a hard sell in the beginning, but over time, you know, their skin would clear up, they would get off caffeine and sugar, their eyes would clear up, they would lose fat, their muscle um, tone would go up, and this was even non athletes So, what would happen then? They would be our best advocates. So, these people who had actually taken the time.
0: Cause they were then so excited because they were feeling the exactly results, they like, like it like, changed wanted their lives. To tell totally. Or, like, or people would be like, hey, what? You're different. Exactly.
1: Then people come to them and they're like, hey, you know, you're looking great. What are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm trying this plant based diet. I'm trying this thing Vega. And then it would spread and it did spread. So, that's, that's how it spread. But that's also why it took so long. Cause, you know, there was no social media back then either. Right. So, it was mm-hmm. word of mouth. And that's Who's why it took 11 that idea, years that even
0: to say i'm gonna go to health food stores and do talks had you seen other people doing that or like
1: yeah it, it that wasn't a new formula like there were that people was the
0: way you had to market stuff back then
1: yeah like there you know people there were other folks who had written books and would talk about their health philosophy basically these free talks in health food stores and I was like, I'm getting, now I'm like, I
0: feel like even in my local health food store, I actually still see, well, last year, maybe not so much, but like, I still like, I've actually do still see like, oh, this month, so-and-so, whatever. And I hadn't really right. thought about that, that like, yeah, a brand that's less known than that is how they get a customer base.
1: Yeah. And you know, some of it is just not authentic and some of it doesn't work and it goes away like anything else. But also I'm the sort of person who... You know, if I didn't believe it, it didn't really work for me. I, I wouldn't do it, of course, but it really did. And then I had to make the decision because it started to grow and catch on. Um, and I needed to put more time into it than two weeks a year. And my partner, Charles, was he was all in. He had a young family. He had a reverse mortgage on his house. He had to sell his truck. Like, he was all in. He had no safety net, no plan B, which I loved. You know, I really admired that, that he was, he was all in. And I'm like, okay, well, this guy's all in. And he's putting such confidence in me um, to make this thing work. And I'd never had that before. Um, so I took that as a huge compliment, of course. And, and I'm like, okay, this guy's like, he's all in. I, I got to be all in. Like, I can't, you know, I can't just have one toe in this thing. So um, that's when I made the decision. Yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's, you know, let's build this as, as well as we can. And I'll stop doing triathlon. Uh, this is my new job. Like, this is what I'm doing.
0: Well, I'm guessing then since you had that other thing that you were creating and that was actually happening, you wouldn't have gotten as much shit that you might have to just be like, never mind, this isn't working for me. Which not, I don't know if you would, but I I find that when people make transitions and changes their life, then it's like, yeah, people around them can give them a hard time about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, people were, I think... More likely to give me a hard time for still doing triathlon. It <laughs> would be like, okay, you're come on now, like you're you're getting close to to 30, which is okay. I mean, for endurance sports, that's still actually quite young. But, you know, I wasn't I wasn't progressing um, the way I needed to, to be honest. Like I, you know, I had friends who were, like I say, going to the Olympics and doing all these, these great things. And I was I was getting by and I could have done it for a few more years and gotten by. And, you know, supported myself with no regular job. But when it ends, it ends. Like, that's it. And then what do you do? Right. So, and I, like I said, I'd done it for seven years full time. I had my fun with it. And like I said before, I never really loved racing. I always loved the training and I still do. I, I bike and run, go to the gym every day. And I love it as much as I ever have. And I always will. It's just part of what I do. But I didn't need that competitive element. So it was actually... You know, people say, oh, that must have been really hard. It actually wasn't, to be honest, because the part that I didn't love was the part that I could let go and then I could just do what I liked, like get up early and go for a run and then go and, you know, give a talk at at some bookstore or whatever. And I could do
0: that. Right. So it's like this new project sort of gave you permission to be like, oh, wait, I can still do the parts I want to do, which is, yeah, I can still do the training, do the thing, but not, yeah, don't compete. Trisha here, bringing you a brief interruption. If you've listened to me and you follow me on social media, and you probably have heard me talk about my love of my infrared sauna blanket. Love it, love it, love it. But also, the company that makes that has come out with an infrared mat. It's something that you can lay on and get similar effects without getting all hot and sweaty. They have a full size mat and then they also have now what's called a go mat. Um, And so yeah, you can lay on it and feel long-term benefits combining the power of infrared with healing frequency of pulsed electronic, electromagnetic field technology. Yeah, they call it PMF, probably because it's challenging to say, (laughs) or I have a challenge to say that. Anyway, so this is super cool. The travel one like is like, you know, like half the size of your body. Well, of my body, basically half the size of the full size mat, which would be the same as a sleeping blanket. And it gives you the similar qualities. You know, you can even have people sitting on a chair, lay it on the floor, helps you to recharge, relax your body. Um, reduce stress, improve circulation, improve muscle recovery. So you get these benefits from laying on this thing without having to get into the sweat session, which I love the infrared sauna blanket, as you know, but it is like a commitment to get into it and um, come out soaking, dripping wet, which feels awesome, but also Can be like, okay, I got to do the cleanup. I got to prepare for the shower, you know. So I'm super stoked to get one of these myself. Go check out all their products with the link bit.ly or l y backslash joy sauna. That'll take you to the infrared sauna blanket. And then you can just go to shop and check the other products out. For all products, use code JOY75 for $75 off. And for all products, you can use the infras free. Interest-free payment plan, which is definitely what I do. Because why not? Why not pay in smaller payments with no interest? It makes it easier to commit to and say yes and invest in yourself. Okay, check it out. Link is in the show notes. Joy seventy-five b i t dot l y backslash joy Sana. So, yeah. Then with the growth a vega just what was that whole time like i don't know like that was because that was a new thing back then right vegan
1: yeah you know vegan back then people was, didn't even
0: really talk, talk about i don't know
1: no and, and that's the thing like that was some of the criticism we got from initial stores the health food stores they're like well okay we'll give this a go but you know there aren't really that many vegans and certainly aren't many vegan triathletes. And, and we're like, well, yeah, I know. We're not saying you have to be a vegan triathlete to drink this thing. Like, we're just saying it is plant-based. And some people actually said to me, oh, I don't believe in in vegan. We're not going to bring it in. I'm like, you have a produce section. You have apples. You have avocados. Like it's just think of it as like just another good plant. It, don't think of it as vegan. Think of it. Doesn't it doesn't mean
0: like this, you drink this protein and you have turned vegan. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like You're not allowed to eat. Like, well,
1: and that was the thing, right? Is like, I didn't even care about selling stuff to vegans. Like to me, I want to sell it to non-vegans. Like I want to sell it to people who will then uh, feel better and, and change your life. And and then as I learn more to, you know, eat, eat fewer animal products, it's good for the environment. And um, like I say, human health as well as environmental health and And then obviously, you know, like why, why cause animals to suffer when you don't have to, like when there are alternatives, there's so many options. So I I learned so much more about it. And then I actually wrote another book. um, And the first third of that book was all to do about, it was to do with environmental resources used in food production. So something that I didn't know a ton about, but I did a lot of research, really enjoyed researching and writing that book a lot and just started to, to look at it more as a holistic way of doing things as opposed to a performance-only based diet.
0: And when when did you decide to leave the company? Or was, I'm guessing that was your choice.
1: Well, we sold it in 2015, so 11 years in. And I'm, I'm actually still involved. So it's, it's taken some strange turns. It, it was acquired by White Wave. Their big brand is silk the like the rice milk soy milk oat milk they make a bunch of different plant-based milks but then they so they i think they actually could have done quite well with it but then they were acquired by Danone
0: but what so what led to like did they just come to you with an offer or were you guys ready to sell like in a place to yeah over the reins a bit
1: yeah because we got to a point where if we sold to a big company we could really increase the volume through distribution so Building distribution channels is very, very difficult. And we got to a certain point, which was solid. But if we sold to a big company that had distribution in all these different channels and and countries, price would come way down and more people would have access to good plant based nutrition. So that's what we wanted. That was always our goal is to, like I say, it started off super expensive and it had to. But then as volume goes up, like with anything, price comes down. And so we want more people to have access to more high quality plant based foods. at a a low price. And that was a promise by, you know, the, the, these companies coming in and saying, well, you know, we think if we acquired you, we, we we could do that. And it made sense. Like it it did make a lot of sense. Price did come down. um, Distribution did go up, but you know, there, there are downsides too. And this is not um, an uncommon story. You know, there are many brands that have been acquired by, by big companies. And Sometimes they just don't appreciate, uh, they don't get it, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Like, there was this huge, huge element of Vega that was to do with education. Like, we had a whole education arm. We had the why. Vega was the how. Like, that's what we would talk about. And, you know, I I wrote a book. I would give talks. We had this whole component. We did all these videos. And it was education. And education is maybe not even the right word. It sounds too sort of uh, formal and Mm -hmm. boring. but getting information out there to help people solve the problems they have. Like if they're fatigued, they don't feel great. Maybe they're bloated. Maybe they don't sleep well. Like we have a solution to that. Uh, mental clarity, focus, you know, everyone's interested in, in something.
0: Like support. could right. also be Yeah, like you're giving them support. They're not just like, here's a product. Totally. And it's not
1: about product. <laughs> and now, really? like, it's so sad. And this is not specific to Vega, of course. But so many products now owned by big companies, it's just about... Just about selling and selling more and, and without the story, without the understanding. And also too, like if people didn't come and listen to those hour-long talks, they would not have stuck with Vega. They would have had one sip and be like, this, this tastes horrible. I'm not going to keep drinking this. They have to understand process and the purpose. And when they do and they, they stay the course, um, it works. But now none of that is part of it. So someone will take a sip and be like, Oh, uh, yeah, okay, tastes all right, but whatever. I'm not going to spend money on this. And, but if they actually go through the, the program, um, you know, it's very effective and, and that's just been cut out of any communication, which is unfortunate. And that needs to come back really for, for also as a resource for people too, because a lot of people, um, you know, they don't know where to go for good nutrition advice and, and keeping it unbiased. Like, obviously it would be funded by a product company, which I see, obviously there's an opportunity for bias there. But if you do stay really true to that and you promote just good plant-based whole foods in general and a convenient, easy way to get it, sure, that's vega. But there are many other ways too. Like we would, when my partner and I, Charles, when we were doing this, we would, we would give alternatives. Like we say, you don't have to buy this. Like you can make this. We'll give you the recipe. Yeah. And we would give away the recipe to the bars and to, to the formula. Like there's, this is not a secret thing. Like we want people to have this. Like you, and when people go and buy each individual ingredient and make it, it actually ends up being more expensive because yeah. they pay markup on everything. We get it direct from the farmer. So obviously it's cheaper. So they realize, too, that, yeah, you know, we can make this, but it is cheaper um, to to just buy it. So it, it works because
0: then you don't have to be like, yeah, putting right. all like 12 scoops of something <laughs> in your smoothie totally. or whatever, or making a big batch. Or right. So Someone fun. does
1: it for you <laughs> yes. and at a lower cost. And so that was sort of our way like, of giving out the formula and, te- and the recipe and teaching people how to make these in the bars and the food processor and stuff was our way of being, of course, very transparent. You win a lot of you know, brand, <laughs> brand clout Mine, that way too, yeah, but trust. then they see it's very genuine. You're like, look, you know, we can get this, we buy in such big volume from the farmers. We can get the cost down for you. And then there's only one smaller markup. And you know, that resonated because it was simple. And we, you know, we were, were happy to do that. Um, But that's just so different from sort of the way it's done now. But you know, (laughs) so (laughs) besides
0: wanting to sell so that it could get into more homes to help more people, like and then yeah, when you sold, were you? You said you're still part of the company, but also like, did your? I'm guessing your day to day changes a lot. Like, did that free up a lot of space for you? Like when you sold Vega, yeah, were you then? What were you doing with yourself? And was that like? oh, this is nice or like scary or yeah. It, you know, it, it
1: felt right. The timing felt right. Um, 11 years, is a long time to be slogging. You know, I was on the road some years, 300 days. Wow. You know, it was, it was a slog. Um, and I value every bit of it. it. It taught me a ton. I learned so much. I learned a lot about even just the country. You know, I, I was probably in almost 40 states you know i would go to to middle america to the south to to places that i may not have gotten to see and i value that so much too because you you know you can realize that there are a lot of you know obviously new york california it's a bubble right like we we live in this this very kind of um different world to to the rest of the country for the most part and it was it was great to see that just you know go and talk with you know coal miners in the carolinas who were just you know trying to trying to feel better and and um you know get healthier and be more self-sufficient and less dependent on on a medical system and take health into their own hands and you know different people have different reasons for for wanting to be healthy and it's just um you know it was, it was great to see great to to learn all that too and also too just even politically speaking you 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 get to to realize why some people vote the way they do, yeah. um, which I thought was pretty interesting too. And so I, I appreciate all of that a lot. And, um, and then, yeah, you know, when after 11 years acquired by a big company, I was still helping where I could with things. I still am technically involved. Vega um, is actually for sale again. And I think it will be sold within probably about a week. We're really nearing the end. So Danone has, has chosen to sell it. You know, their French company had offices in Paris. You know, to be honest, it never really was a was a good fit because, um, like I say, we sold to White Wave in the beginning, and the reason White Wave acquired Vega was to round out their portfolio. Because then they sold to Danone. so it was sort of lost in the shuffle, to be honest. Um, and I don't think it's ever got the the appreciation, or even in the to be totally honestly understanding that it's deserved. Um, so hopefully, the the new owner, uh, you know, has that um, that appreciation of of what it set out to be. And it's not, you know, not a discount brand. It's not about trying to get ingredients for as cheap as we can and press the farmers to get, get lower prices and sell it, uh, you know, by cutting corners and just getting the cost down. But sure, getting the cost down of really good, high quality ingredients just through volume is great, but not through other means. So I, I still have a lot of hope for it. It just depends where, where it ends up. And also too, you know, I have other things going on. And that was, you know, a great part of my life. I I appreciate it. I learned a lot, but it's certainly not uh, the only thing that I'm, I'm interested in.
0: And so, yeah, from then when that happened, did you have other things you were already like dipping your toe in or were you like, oh, excited to have space or were you like, what should I do next? Like, what was that?
1: Well, I saw, I saw things had come so far in the plant-based industry and it was really being understood and appreciated. So I thought, well, how can I be helpful? And, you know, I've done some other things too, like um, 2015, I, I worked with Beyond Meat very closely. We developed actually their first burger, which was called the Beast Burger, which was specifically for athletes. This was far beyond, um, like far sooner than, or more far back than the, uh, the Beyond Burger came out, which is, you know, the current one that's completely changed what people were thinking of plant-based burgers which is, is amazing it's in so many fast yeah, food restaurants I everywhere say, isn't
0: it like in fast food restaurants which is crazy
1: yeah it's everywhere now so yeah we did one in 2015 called the beast burger which had it was around 15 percent more protein had iron calcium Omega-3 fatty acids, lots of things good for athletes.
0: So were people coming, were brands coming to you to, like, hire you as a consultant or something? Or
1: um, Some were. This was more organic than that. Ethan and I, you know, Ethan, who started Beyond Meat, we, we actually were just sitting next to each other at a, a dinner one night and just got talking. And, you know, I knew a lot about him and his company. He knew a lot about Vega and, and what I'd done. So we just hit it off, became friends, we're still great friends. and um. Yeah, and just did, did that. I worked with, with Dave Anderson, a great chef. And then uh, Tim was our food science guy there. And he's actually at Perfect Day now, which is another um, food tech company. It's in the Bay Area. And they're actually doing something really interesting. It's milk without cows. So they produce milk through fermentation of yeast. And it is dairy, like it is milk, but huh. there are no cows involved. This is very interesting. So is... Tim's a brilliant scientist. So yeah, we, we worked on, on this burger together. And that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. And then, yeah, just some other things. Since then, I've, I'm a venture partner at Blue Horizon, which is a fund in Switzerland. And the whole mandate is to um, help, help replace animal products in the food system. So the first fund is almost fully allocated. I believe that was around 180 million Euro, euros that's all been, you know we've invested in these small companies and now the new fund is 280 million euros. Most of it will be spent in Europe, but we will spend a bunch in North America too, just to fund, um, you know, mission-based entrepreneurs who have, you know, it's not super early stage, but have an idea that they've shown actually does work. And there is some, some traction there. So trying to help with what I learned through the Vega process, because, you, you know, you learn it and if you only apply it once, it seems like a waste. Why not help other folks who are trying to do a similar thing, do it, and then save a bunch of time. Because 11 years was a long time. Well, a lot of these companies, I think, will um, you know, reach maturity or e- even an exit if that's what they want to do in much, much less time, half the time that it took us. But we just didn't know. We were new. We had no contacts. Charles had never been from the industry. I, of course, was in the, in the industry. We had to make all our, all our connections um, just on, on our own. Um, So like I say, having that now, it just doesn't make sense to not reapply that and help others.
0: And then, yeah. And so now also I'm sitting here drinking a pulp culture (laughs) drink. I know you told me the story about how that sort of came to be the last time I saw you. But yeah. And when I, I love to like retell that story, but yeah. So what was your life like when you wandered into a Whole Foods and stumbled upon 101 Cider, which is what you told me the other time.
1: Yeah, so this was about two years ago. So I hadn't drank in 14 years because I, you know, I never had a bad experience with it. But you know, I drink once in a while at, at parties and stuff with my roommates, and you know, when we we're in our early 20s. And um, but I, I just didn't feel great, and the next morning I didn't feel great, and I thought, okay, this is not part of my life anymore. I'm trying to be a professional athlete. I'm well, trying yeah, you're to sort of company. Like-
0: Waking up and running and swimming and biking and doing all these physical things every day. I'm like, that sounds like, yeah, it seems like, oh, yeah, we probably wouldn't be drawn to drinking.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, OK, just well, that's bit. just no longer part of my life. You know, I, I got this this new company that, that we're doing here. And I just, you know, so it was just put out in my head. And then, yeah, one day, yeah, like, say, around two years ago, I was in Whole Foods in Venice and I saw this product sitting on the shelf and I was actually, it was funny, I was looking at the labels, craft beer labels, because I have a friend who's a graphic designer, and he does some of these labels. And, and some of the best graphic design I've seen is craft beer. It's really well done. So I was looking through there, and I saw this, this one that just caught my eye. It said 101 Cider. I picked it up. I looked at it. It had one ingredient, apples. And I'm like, how can this have apples? as zero sugar, as has probiotics, and it has no sugar. No, like I don't get it. No sugar and apples. Like, of course, lots of sugar and apples. So I emailed info at 101 cider.com This guy responds right away. this guy named Mark.
0: But let's like also like you didn't buy it.
1: No, I didn't buy it. You (laughs)
0: just saw it on the shelf. Yeah. We're like, that's an interesting design. Wait, how is this just apples? I need to. I need to get more.
1: Yeah, I want to understand this. This is interesting. So zero sugar, but it's hundred percent apples. Okay, how does that work? So uh, this guy Mark responds. He's like, oh hey hey. um, I'm from Canada as well. And, you know, he was in the fitness industry in Canada. It turns out he knew about Vega. He knew about me. So we met up, you know, not similar or not dissimilar from when I met up with Charles. This guy I'd heard on the radio randomly and we met up and started Vega. So then Mark and I meet up and I'm like, wow, this is fascinating. He explained all about fermentation, how just in the Basque region in Spain, you know, they get these these big vats of apple juice and they just let them sit. Just ambient bacteria, no yeast, and it just ferments. And at the end of three months, you end up with a zero-sugar, probiotic-rich, alcoholic liquid, because um, part of fermentation is, is alcohol. And I thought, well, oh, that's really interesting. So, okay, how bad can like, fermented apple juice be? Because I love fermentation. I love tempeh, kimchi, sauerkraut. It really helps with digestion. But okay, fermented apples, I you know, already like apples. Let's try fermented apples. Had it, felt great. I thought, this is, this is so good. Helped with digestion. Like, whereas beer sometimes, uh, you, you know, would feel... blow. You could feel it. Six billion plus probiotics in it. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I love the simplicity. I love the elegance of the solution. Zero hangover. Feel great. This is amazing. So I invested in the company. And... Was he
0: even, like, looking for investors? You guys just met up. He told you about this company. Did he say, like, i mean, investor, or you were just like, hey, I'm really interested in this. Can I invest? Yeah, Can no,
1: he you? wasn't raising money. I just... Yeah, I just said, you know, I really love this. I, I think this could be really, really big. Because um, it also solves problems in that, obviously, like I say, the hangover and stuff. But environmentally, because obviously apples grow in trees, that's, um, that's dry farmed. You know, they, they pull water out of the ground. You don't have to irrigate them. Whereas like hard kombucha or something, you, you have to grow sugar, which is a crop, and you got to irrigate it, and it takes water. And... Um, hard seltzer as well. Uh, malt liquor. You know, making malt liquor is very resource intensive. It's an processed. process. This was so simple. Like literally, you make it yourself. You just take unpasteurized apple juice, you put it in your fridge, and leave it for three months. Like oh, no joke. And so I just love the simplicity of the solution. And um, yeah, I asked him if, if like where he was at. And, and so he, he let me invest. And, and then we collaborated on a new one. That's part of the same company, his company. Um, We call it Pulp Culture, which is the fermented juice, like 101 cider, but then we blend in adaptogens to make it functional. So um, we have one called Relax, for example, as reishi in it that helps you relax. And it's sort of lavender, um, this lavender we put in there. And again, zero sugar, 6 billion probiotics, um, organic acids. And you feel amazing after. I have one with dinner every night because it helps digestion feel great, go to the gym an hour later, um, zero hangover at all with anything. But you still get kind of that buzz. Not, not the same as alcohol, like traditional alcohol. This is technically alcohol because it is, you know, it is fermented. It is, pulp culture is 4.9% alcohol, which is same as a White Claw or you know any hard seltzer. But it's not only not bad for you, it's actually good for you. And we can't legally say anything with alcohol is good for you. Like we can't put that on the package, right. but with all the adaptogens and stuff, and it's from, we don't look at it as an alcoholic drink, we look at it as a fermented drink. And one of the outcomes of fermentation is this naturally occurring alcohol. So it really changed the way I thought about alcohol. And I find it helps with, with focus. And I take it almost like a nootropic, you know, like something that helps me um, just, I feel be more creative, get outside of my head, be more focused, get more done. And of course, you know, I, I was thinking about this recently, actually, is alcohol, you know, traditional alcohol has been used for a long time as something that today we would probably look at as a nootropic in a what funny is a way.
0: Nootropic? So a
1: nootropic is something that helps your brain do something you want it to do. So, for uh, example, I was reading the Stephen King book
0: that makes sense.
1: recently called On Writing. It's about his writing process because he's such a prolific writer of fiction, obviously, so many books. And I was very interested in in how he does it. Does it flow? Is it natural? Does he have to like really set time aside? Is it forced? How does he write? And he talked about one example where he wrote *Cujo*, one of his best selling um, books. And he can't even remember the process because he drank so much.
0: He drank so much alcohol.
1: He drank so much alcohol during that phase. He can't even remember. But he said drinking the alcohol, he felt uninhibited and everything went on the page. And then you edit you know, later when you're sober, which is, and that's that Ernest Hemingway thing too, right? Like, yeah. right, um, when you're drinking and then edit when you're sober, you know, and it's, it kind of, it does make sense though. And I started thinking about like alcohol in the right level, if it's healthy, like fermented and good, can that be something beneficial? And I really think it can. Um, but then calling it a nootropic, I, I don't know if you can do that, but it's, um, uh, something I was, I was interested in because of course, The reason a lot of people drink alcohol in the first place is social crutch. You know, they'll go into a room to a party or something and they'll feel inhibited if they don't drink. And I never, even back in my 20s when I drank it, but I never wanted that to be the case. Like I had very strict rules around when I would drink. If I felt I couldn't walk into a room full of people, I would not drink. It's like, no, you gotta walk into a room full of people and be able to converse (laughs) like you can't have you know you can't be leaning on a crutch and also too if if i was sad about something i would never drink i never wanted to be escapism that way um so i think i had pretty you know pretty healthy boundaries around it but then just cut it out like i say for reasons that i just thought it was not serving me anymore and then found it again in a totally different form and and feel that it totally does serve me
0: yeah i enjoy alcohol (laughs) I always have, but it's never, yeah, I've never, the same thing, like, I have not ever really used it as a crutch, and even, like, when I've been going through some, like, super challenging times or sad times, I don't end up, like, drinking, that for me, it ends up being, like, oh, yay, celebratory, or, like, yeah, I a lot of times will have one, too, with dinner or after dinner, where it's, like, yay, good job, day. Right. (laughs) No, for sure, but, and not saying that that like that's good, but yeah, like I, yeah, I enjoy it. It does. You can feel like the warm fuzziness of like, okay. But yeah, I think that it's important to know, like, why am I reaching for this? And like, yeah, if I'm trying to escape from something and that, you know, that.
1: but Right. Then you may want to dig deeper and, and find out what it is you're trying to escape from and treat the cause, not yeah. the symptom. Right. But I, you know, when I was, I think I was 21, I went to Northern Spain and did some racing there. And I, I loved it. Like it was, and like I say, that's where Mark got the idea for fermented juice as well and bringing it and kind of Americanizing it. Um, but I, I love the idea there too, that they actually per capita consume, I believe it's more alcohol than anyone else on earth, but they're never angry. They're never sad. They're never violent. They drink it throughout the day in small amounts, always with food, always with friends and family. And they, they have a great time and they're happy. And it's a very different life and, you know, it's not really how I live, but I think sort of that thing, like looking at it as a reward is kind of unhealthy sometimes. Like it can just be part of life. It can be part of, part of just your, your day um, in, in, a, in a good way. And it's not, and again, some people can't just have one or two drinks, right? They need seven or 15 yeah. and that's probably not good. And then they need to know themselves. You know, if, if some people can't do that with donuts, right? They can't eat just one or a chip or a cookie. And if you know that, then then just act accordingly. But if you're someone who can, you know, have a couple of drinks and, and you're fine and you feel good and you're more productive, then nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah. And that's, I lived in Italy for a couple months at one point point in the same thing where it's sort of like part of, and what I've noticed too, it's like, yeah, it it is sort of my celebration End of the day, but it also, in many moments, is like a slow, like you know, like I'm. Let me slow down. Like in some ways, it I am like choosing to like slow down and be present and mm-hmm. be with what is going on. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not trying to tell anybody to go drink, <laughs> but yes, I have very much been enjoying. The pop culture and the 101 cider because, yeah, it feels good. I don't, then, yeah, don't feel bad after. And how do you guys come up with those? Like, was that you or mix of like, how do you come up with the ingredients that you put in?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, Mark's really good at that. I, I do some of that too. And just the function we want. So you're drinking play, which is, it actually has a little bit of naturally occurring caffeine from the mate. There's no, isolated caffeine or anything like that. It's just from mate that's steeped in there. Uh, mm-hmm. So we ferment the juice and then we steep some um, mate in there and, and a little bit of sea salt for electrolytes. And um, yeah, and there you go. And, and also other, yeah, we use different mushroom adaptogens. We're actually working with Four Sigmatic oh, now really? as well and get our mushrooms from them. You know, a company that, uh, Taro, um, a good friend has, has started and, and, you know, doing a great job with, um, so yeah, it's, it's nice to, to collaborate with like-minded folks and, and, uh, and do some things.
0: You're wearing Four Sigmatic socks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah. Four Sigmatic <laughs> like, socks on.
0: At, but, um. But yeah, but also with that, it's like, feels like it's more like functionality, you know, like when you're going to make it, I guess you're like, what is the reason? or like, what are we wanting people to get out of this? How do we totally. To no, that's feel? it.
1: That's exactly it. So pulp culture is very much about function. It's about outcome. Like how, how does it make you feel? Whereas one-on-one cider is more, is more flavor. It's more, it, so it, it would be more, I guess, similar to traditional cider or a craft beer. It is zero sugar, though. Like I say, everything we do is zero sugar because it's all fermented. But then the play um, or any pulp culture is just, it's about function. It's about what do you want. So we have a hustle, which is kind of ginger, gingery. Um, and then uh, there's a relax, which like saves more lavender, uh, citrus one that has some um, milk thistle. That's Restore. We have Think.
0: That's my favorite.
1: Yeah, the Restore is good. Like it's really just, yeah, kind of grapefruity and. Yeah, it's, it's really good.
0: But um, I also just love with both the beginning of Vega and this company, that it just started with, yeah, your curiosity mm-hmm. and reaching out to learn more or to ask questions.
1: Yeah, exactly. It all started with questions. It's just all questions and curiosity. And, you know, there, I, I know, of course, some founders who are single founders, I really like having a good partner, you know, cause there are things, I know my limitations. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not. I've never done a business by myself. Um, uh, I, I know, like I say, what, um, what, what I'm capable of and what I'm not. And I think I sometimes see these people who are kind of hacking their way through and they just need a good partner, you know, someone who can, can offset their, their shortcomings basically. And, um, you know, that was Charles and I just compliment each other so well. He's very good at things I'm not and vice versa. And and I think Mark and I are are a similar way. So finding that right, um, that right complimentary partner can can mean all the difference.
0: And was Mark open to like, yeah, for if he started the business by himself, was that something that he was like easily like a yes to, to to like starting to have a partner? Because are you now a partner in one-on-one cider also, or just pulp culture?
1: I'm um, in both. Yeah. One-on-one yeah. cider as well. Yeah. And you know, it's tough for some entrepreneurs and, and I totally get it to, to be able to be very critical of themselves because a lot of entrepreneurs, of course, are like, yeah, I can do that. They're very capable people, right? So the, the immediate place their brain goes is no, I, I can do that. I'm capable. And, and I think that's true for the most part, but it's not really a question of can you do it? The answer is probably yes, but it's, are you the best person to do it? And, and, you know, I found that too, like with Vega, with some of the different folks who have come through to, you know, to, to be president there, they're like asking the wrong question. In my opinion, they're asking, am I capable of doing this? When really the question they should be asking is I, am I the best person for this job? And when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a company, I think you have a better sense of that because you truly want what's best for the company. So if you're aware of your shortcomings, you will step aside and bring someone in who can compliment the things that you're not good at. And you have no problem doing that. There's no ego involved. It's not about you being in a certain position. It's about the company being as good as it can possibly be. And I, I see that, like I say, with these big companies so often not happening because people are in it for them. Um, Not for the greater good of the the company, which I understand, you know, that's how they get their bonuses. That's how they get paid. And it's just, it's just a different view of the world. And if you're a scrappy entrepreneur, you, who, who is aware of his or her shortcomings, um, you'll, you'll probably make the right decision. You'll probably find someone who uh, can, can help you in areas where you're not as good at. And you won't ask the question, am I capable of doing this? The answer, like I say, is probably yes. You'll ask the question is am I the best person for this position? The answer is probably no. So you can bring in the right person.
0: And also I was thinking like, is it the best for me to do it? Cause it's like, yes, right. I can't. Cause like, I'm definitely from that mindset of like, yeah, of course I can do it. But like, am I going to be like, is it going to be like killing me to do this? So like, right. you know, what's like, the let cost me do, oh, of like, doing it? Yeah. Like everything
1: has a cost. right? Well, and
0: that's too, I was like always raised to be frugal. So I can be this fear of hiring someone as a small entrepreneur mm. to, you know, Do these things that they could do so well, but like, oh, but I have to pay them money. But then, like, I'm getting frustrated trying to do this thing that looks very easy. Right. <laughs> but like, And so like that it's actually taking more time and things out. Then like, I could just pay someone who's great at like designing that. But like, I can just use Canva, yeah. and make some, which I do use Canva for lots of things. But it's not always the best choice because then I'm like, I can do this easily. And then I'm wasting my time and my energy.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that. You know what I find too? And I found this with, with Charles and, and some other folks too, is that they're so good at what they do. They make it look easy. And then so other people in the company are like, oh, I could do that. It's are just like watching Michael Phelps swim, right? It looks effortless. It looks so easy. He's just crushing everyone. Then you look someone at someone who's not a great swimmer and it looks so hard. Like he just makes it look so hard. You're like, oh God, I, I, I couldn't do that. But then you watch someone who's good so proficient and it's falsely leading you to believe you could do that because so many people left egg and tried to start their own company. And I think a big part of it and a lot of them failed. I think a big part of that was Charles made it look easy because he's so good at it and um i like I say, I see that in, in other areas too, where just that that proficiency just it just looks effortless, and it's so not at all. It's very hard, but when you're that good, um you know people you know and this this wasn't obviously just vague. I mean there's a long list of companies where their CEO is really, really good. And so other people leave thinking, oh, why work for this guy? I'll start my own company. Look how easy it is. He does it with effortless ease. (laughs) I'm going to do that too. And then they realize it's not that easy. They're just really, really good at what they do.
0: Yeah. I again, just want to touch back on like the two, like two very big things in your life. And I'm guessing there's a lot more things. I know you've done a lot of other things that we didn't even touch on, but like came from just asking questions. And like, putting yeah, yourself out. That's kind of the
1: theme of this. is just like just and it wasn't a curious. Intention. Let no. me send
0: an email because I want to start a new company. Uh, let me, yeah, I your first question or whatever, reaching out to learn more about the maka wasn't like, I'm going to create a company Not at that's going to last no. for this many years and do this and be sold all over. <laughs> but yeah, like just following your natural curiosity and getting out of your own way to do that. because I think so many people are afraid to reach out and you just like never know. You right. never know what's going to come from like s- talking to the stranger in line instead of scrolling on your phone or yeah. like whatever. Like you don't know who people are and where it's going to go. So I just love that so much. Yeah. And now I'm going to get into the final questions. <laughs> um, the first one is I have everybody pick a keychain for my product line of not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they want the reminder of in their life. So I would like to you to say what you chose and why.
1: I chose, I am magic.
0: And why were you drawn to that one?
1: Um, why magic do you want is that just, reminder? yeah, I just like, I like, um, the word magic because it's, to me, it's like back in the old days, like electricity was magic. They just didn't understand it. You know, if you don't understand something, it can seem magic. Like look at our phones, right? I mean, it seems they're communicating with satellites in space, right? It, It seems like magic. So these sort of like things we take for granted, these ordinary to us things, you know, are kind of magic. Like, it's kind of unbelievable. Some of the technology we we have that would seem like magic a very, very short period of time ago.
0: Yeah. I still regularly while driving my car will be like, what is this?
1: (laughs) <laughs> right? How there, there's no horse up front. Well, How
0: did somebody create this? You
1: know, right. <laughs>
0: like I regularly get stuck on these moments of wonder, like wow.
1: No, and it's amazing. Like, uh, you know, recently I was watching this um, thing. It was Kathy Wood talking about Ark Invest, her, you know, her her fund, and they're talking about genomics and, um, you know, designer genes and like edit, gene editing which is just fascinating and, and brilliant and kind of scary. could be, but just really, really interesting stuff. And it's like, I mean, that seems like magic now that you can, you can basically design what your children are like, like what color eyes they have, like their predisposition to a whole bunch of things. And, you know, there's some very practical applications, of course, like disease resistant and so on. But then of course, aesthetics come up and like, what do you want your child to look like. And, you know, this opens a whole can of worms, but like that seems like magic, but it's real, you know, it's happening right now. And like I say, you know, electricity seemed like magic a very short period of time ago. We just thing you can't see, but it it can kill you and it travels through the air and, you know, like this, this crazy stuff.
0: So did you want I am magic to remind yourself of like everyday magic or just because you already are present to it and you
1: yeah, I think just sort of the appreciation for things that would have seemed magical even of like a decade ago, but now are just commonplace. Like we take it for granted, really. So not taking magic for granted, just like really appreciating. It's like, wow, we can like, you know, when I was a kid growing up, just the thought of being able to see someone on a phone, like, you know, we had these phones attached to the wall. And we thought, well, there'd be like a TV here and you can like look at the person on the TV that you're talking to. That's crazy. And now we have this thing like, you know, the size of, you know, the thickness of a few pieces of paper carry in your pocket. You can talk to anyone in the world and see that person for free. And it's just, it seems like magic. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, What is a go-to to raise your joy levels? I'm pretty sure I'm going to know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Alcohol? No,
0: I thought you would say running. Of course.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, um, yeah, n- running. Um, just.
0: Or yeah, but like, yeah, what are other things? I mean, running is something you can like, let me just drop and do that right now. But yeah, I like to like see like these moments if you're like, yeah, having a frustrated, whatever it is, maybe you're about to do something you don't love doing, but it's. Oh, wait, but this is part of me, whatever, promoting the brand or whatever it is. Like, what do you do to shift your mood? And give your I think just thinking
1: about why, 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 basically why, like, why are you doing this stuff in the first place? And that's what I would always think about too, with running, like when I used to, to be competitive, like no one's forcing me to do this. Why am I doing this? It's because you enjoy it. Like, I like it and just come back to the joy of the simplicity of the things that you really like to do like no like say no one's forcing you're doing it for a reason why why is that you must like it at some level so just remembering why you started doing things in the first place and um just be appreciative for for i think the the, the simple things too that are are all around us and like yeah going out for a walk you know and that sort of level of freedom some people you know people would ask me like how do you you push yourself so hard in racism, like push myself, don't push myself. It's just, it's fun. It's like, if, it's, it's a privilege to be able to, you know, have, have a healthy body that you can move through space in. You know, it's, it's a great privilege and um, just not taking that for granted and, and enjoying it while you have it.
0: I love that. That's basically the main theme in the book that I'm writing that's coming out next year, which is F the shoulds do the once, that my like getting clear on what is your want? And sometimes it's shifting a should from a want like, oh, I should be doing this. And then it's asking yourself, well, why? Why do you want to? Or I should be this way. Why is that a thought you have? Oh, because that's what society has taught me I'm supposed to believe. So it's questioning your thoughts and beliefs and then also like getting clear on, yeah, why are you doing that thing? Why did you say, Oh, I wish I hadn't have said yes to that thing? Well, right. why did you? Right. Because I want to show up for my friend. Because I want to share about this thing that I'm doing. Oh, like so yeah, it makes you get back like clear and aligned with yourself. Right. And you
1: learn about your own motivation and you learn about yourself. Yeah. I think too. And but yeah, it comes back to asking questions, whether they're just of yourself, which is totally fine too, but just that curiosity that I don't think you can learn. I think you're, you're a curious person or you're not, you can, you know, you can refine it and act on it more. But I think some people just aren't curious and you know, that's too bad.
0: Yeah. That was one of the subtitles that my book that got just dismissed was get curious on who you are, what you want and why you want it. It is now get clear on what you want. (laughs) But I was like, curious was a big part of that. Um, okay, I like to ask people this: how to play this fri- phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So it could be like a habit or a way of being that you find yourself being, but it might not be for your best. And also that doesn't mean that it's harder. Just what is easiest, your default is not always what is best for you. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank.
1: I think easiest for me is to um, really kind of keep to myself and stick with, with what I know I enjoy, like going out for a run or you know things that, that I enjoy just falling into that because I know what I like and I know what makes me feel good and I know what makes me happy. But at the same time, there's no growth in that either, right? It's, it's just this repetitive thing. And that's great that myself and many others know what they like and what they're good at and what they enjoy and what, you know, what makes them happy. But at the same time, trying new things. And I, I have to force myself to go to parties, go to social events, but I often enjoy them when I'm there because th- that's where the growth is. You know, that's where you're learning, you're meeting new people. Um, you're, you're, you're seeing just different perspectives, which I love too. Like I have friends, most of my friends are very, very liberal um, and some, some are more conservative, but it's great to, to spend time with both of them because you, you know, you see the genuine perspective of both. And I think just um, being open to, to, to new ideas and, um, and then, yeah, for me specifically, like forcing myself to, to be in more social situations that I probably will enjoy and learn from and grow um, because of, but that's not my natural default. It's just to sort of just hang out on my own.
0: <laughs> yeah, got that. I love that. Okay, the last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I feel so often people can put like, they can chase what they want. Like, once I do this, I'll be enough. Once I do this, I'll be successful, fulfilled, worthy, whatever. A lot of people struggle with that or constantly chasing it. And then as soon as you like hit the box, it just goes away. But I feel that we can claim those emotions, those things that we're seeking every day. Sometimes we need to do it every moment of the day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, what are you claiming for yourself right now?
1: Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I think to, to be, to really be present, be in the moment, um, you know, of course, it's so easy to be distracted by things. And right now you writing a book, which, you know, I have a lot of admiration for. I know it's very hard. I, I haven't written a book in many, many years. And I don't think I could right now. Honestly, I think there's, there's just too much clutter in my head. Um, but being able to block that out and really focus on something, I, I think is is potentially very rewarding too, and and I really like that. So I want to get back to that. But um, yeah, I think being being in the moment, and I know that sounds kind of cliche, but I think that um, it's very easy to live our lives in the future, and I I, I do a lot. Like I, I think long term, I'm a long term thinker, even just the way I. I grew up thinking, you know, triathlon, doing Ironman triathlon. You have to train for a decade before you can even do a race. You know, you have to have an incredible ability to think big picture, which in some cases can mean um, not being present. It can mean just always thinking in the future because you, you've got a very specific place you want to go. So I think being able to think big picture, but also be very present um, at the same time and, and know what um, situation is, is right for, for, for which one.
0: Yeah. I love that. And yeah, big, you just also like, you just never know. It's like, you can have these big pictures and the dreams, but also like, you got to enjoy your life right, <laughs> while it's happening. It's not like, all right, I'm planning for this. And once it's there, not saying that you do that, but that so often other people are really working so hard to get somewhere. And then when you get there, you usually just let me move that goalpost somewhere else.
1: <laughs> right. It's sort of, I don't think those people who are working towards something, it's very rare that when they get there, that's it.
0: That they enjoy it. Right. That They they enjoy it. Like they didn't
1: get here to be here. They got here to then go there. It's a stepping stone for, for many people. And I think that's, that can be good and bad, of course. Uh, And also to just being aware of like, what got you here is not going to get you there type thing too. Like if you repeatedly are doing the same things that took to get you to one spot, you know, maybe you have to change up your strategy to to go on to, to a different spot and you can't just keep doing the same thing even though it worked to get here you gotta change it up um if, if you want to experience growth beyond that
0: awesome thank you so much for your time and all of your thoughts and i'm again just going to cling on to that curiosity people ask questions like also it's like you might not get an answer you know, like, yeah, send somebody a DM, write to info at whatever company, <laughs> like even yeah. also, I think acknowledging people doesn't even have to be an, uh, asking a question, but right. Like what the maca it was sort of like, wow, I'm really interested in what this is that you're doing. Like right. you weren't looking for anything in return. Yeah. Also the why am I doing this because I'm hoping that they're going to do something for me or just like coming from the natural place. And, you yeah, know,
1: just, and again, just, yeah, curiosity. It really is.
0: That's it. That's it. That's it, everybody. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode with Brendan. And um, yeah, look for these Pulp Culture drinks. You can order them online at pulpculture.la. And they also have a Find Us uh, tab there to find it in your local store. I know they're not in all states yet, but they've made it to quite a few, especially are definitely in California. Yeah, for to learn more about Brendan... You, I have got a link to his website, to Pulp Culture, to, of course, to my website. For full show notes and other links, you can go to yourdralogist.com uh, slash podcast and find all um, the episodes there and things that we mention. I love hearing from you. So please let me know if you listened to the episode. Shout it out. Tag us. Send me a DM. And, of course subscribe if you haven't yet that helps podcasts become more found and reviews are also a big thing and i so appreciate every single review so if you leave a review screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at your and i'll send you a little gift for my product line just like I have every guest pool, a keychain. I've got all the keychains. I've got journals, which are on sale right now for the rest of May for Mental Health Awareness Month. I've got mugs. I've got insulated tumblers until they sell out. Magnets, notepads, all sorts of goodies to empower you and support you. Give you a little reminders throughout your day that it's your life. You can choose it. You can claim it. You can change it. Um, for the final thought, I was trying to think of something to tie into like curiosity since I was so into that and I'm a naturally curious person. So I think that also excited me to like talk to another naturally curious person and, um, to celebrate that. Cause I've definitely gotten shit in my life for being curious. <laughs> like, why do you need to know that? Why do you ask so many questions? Um, I love my curiosity So maybe it's just that, maybe it's embracing like what quality about yourself can you embrace and celebrate that either you've been told is like not good or it annoys somebody else or you make up, I'm too this. What is something that you've been told or you feel or you struggle with feeling you're too? And what can you like claim and celebrate it and own it? All right, that's a good final thought. All right, thank you so much again for listening.